welcome to our podcast, COP26 and the Journey to Change, a podcast brought to you by Visit Scotland's business events team. COP26 is all about change, the vital and necessary change we need to make not just as individuals, but as communities, countries and continents, the global journey of change to address climate change and its impact. In this podcast, we will be discussing how the issues of change and sustainability affect the business events sector, and also how business events can help bring about the change that we need. We will be questioning what we can learn from COP26 and what our industry can do to change itself. And we'll be examining the COP26 programme themes, including energy, nature, youth and science, to find those crucial intersections where business events can make a difference and help achieve the outcomes of COP26 and the UN Sustainable Development Goals. At Visit Scotland, we believe that business events are more than just meetings. We believe business events can be catalysts for social and economic change. As Scotland welcomes COP26, we welcome you to our podcast. Stay tuned, follow for new updates and enjoy. Welcome everyone, the session's about to begin. Please take your seat and make yourself comfortable. Please ensure your tea and coffee is topped up and feel free to shut down your emails and enjoy the session. Today, we'll be discussing Business Events for Change, an international association's perspective. To help us in our discussions, we're delighted to be joined by Jessica Smith, Director of Global Associations Events, MCI USA, Sarah Haywood, Assistant Vice President Conference, the National Association for Mental Wellbeing, and Belle Hansen, Senior Manager, Operations and Programmes for the International Society of Computational Biology. And our guest host today is Rory Archibald. Hello everyone and a very warm welcome. Now we are incredibly lucky to have what I consider and I certainly think the industry considers leaders within their field. Welcome to you all and thank you very much for joining us here in Scotland, virtually or uh, online, for this podcast. Thank you so much for having us. No, delighted. And also to add a little bit of international flavour to our podcast so far. Um, I'm going to start. I think I said a lot of words there that maybe some people in our audience um, maybe don't get. I mean, certainly computational biology. I'm going to come straight to you, Belle, for a little bit of clarification on, you know, what does what your association and the, the work that it does? Sure. So the International Society for Computational Biology, which we lovingly refer to as ISCB, um, we are an international nonprofit um, association with individual members from students all the way through professional. So students, postdocs and professionals. We focus on global bioinformatics and computational biology which is the combination of large data and science. We really just look at bringing that science, that research to all of our international members, whether it be virtual or in person, as well as we provide leadership for resources and policies um, that support scientific endeavors um, to benefit the society at large. 
Fantastic. And I'm correct in saying that you organize events all over the world. Correct. Correct. That's, yep. We yes. we host events on nearly every continent. Not not quite Antarctica yet, but we're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, but yeah, nearly every continent. And we have members on nearly every continent. Okay. And, you know, I should, I should clarify that, you know, we've uh, all four of us have been friends for a good number of years. Um, and, you know, Belle, the, the organization you work for to kind of set us up for the rest of the conversation. Is there values within your organization that you send out to staff or to members or to both that you can tell us about? Oh, yes. Um, so it's we, we put our values right on our homepage. Um, if you go to the Who We Are section, it you know tells you all about it. Our values are laid out. We divide them up by um, quality, ethics, diversity, service, and communication, um, which we think it's really important that the our values are open. Um, they're available for anyone to, to look at and see what our society um, is all about and what we offer. And uh, we, as a society, have a committee that reviews these values on a re- relatively regular basis um, as we kind of look forward to our strategic plan to ensure that we are still meeting uh, the goals and the needs of not only our members, but uh, to the field at large. Fantastic. And, you know, I think we had a quick conversation before we started this, you know, equality, diversity are just so important in the world that we currently live in and have probably never been more important than than ever so you know hold on to that we're going to come back to that uh, shortly i think that's going to form a lot of a basis of our conversation but i'm going to jump over to sarah from the national council for mental well-being now Sarah, i believe you are more focused on the usa itself so you can tell us a little bit more about your organization yeah um so we're we're also a membership uh based organization and we basically we drive policy and social change on behalf of mental health and substance treatment organizations and all those that they serve. We're always advocating for policies to ensure equitable and timely access to high quality uh, care and services. And we're always promoting a greater understanding of mental well-being as a core component of comprehensive health and health care. Uh, so that's that's basically what our 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 core is. And uh, to your point, yes, we are currently stateside because within the healthcare system, there isn't a standardized set of care for mental health and substance use disorder. So what you do in Scotland is not what we do in the U.S. And even within the U.S., um, what they do in New York City isn't what they do in Indiana. And within New York City, what they do in the five different boroughs can be different. So if you go in for a heart attack, you're going to get the same standardized care or your heart, no matter where you are in the entire world. But if you go in with a mental health issue, it's really going to be dependent on what city you're in, what state you're in, what country you're in. Because again, we're not seeing the brain as an organ like the heart, but that's where we're trying to get people to see it and remove the stigma of it. Because it really is just uh, a disease like anything else. If your heart has an issue, get treated. If your brain's got an issue, get treated. Well, that's really interesting. I had no idea that there were such um, differences between cities, states, countries on the treatment for mental well-being. You know, that's just such a another. I mean, we, we just mentioned diversity and equality. I suppose there's an element of diversity and equality within mental health care, but equally, mental health itself has become so 
prevalent over the last uh, year and a half with lockdowns, with isolations. Uh, it's incredibly important work. I spoke to um, Bell about the values of the organisation. You know, a lot of the, the things you just mentioned there sound like values in the cell, but is there anything else that you can add on the values of your association? We've got obviously external values that but our internal values, we've got four guiding core values that um, we have all of our staff go by. And it's being a team player, being curious, having a bias to action, and then shaping the future. So those are our internal core values that we live off. Wow. And I love the shape in the future because that's going to form so much of this conversation. So yes. I might be coming back to you a few times, Sarah. <laughs> but thank you very much. Um, and then... Last, but by certainly no means least, because Jessica, you've got a slightly different twist in all of this where you don't kind of work for just one association. So you've got a very varied position with MCI. Can you give us a little bit of a insight into what you do? Yeah, so I work for the U.S. office of MCI. Um, our office is an association management company. So we fully serve about 30 different associations that are headquartered out of the U.S. And I work with all of those associations that are wishing to go abroad for any of their international events. So I actually primarily work for one major association called the International Technology Lawyers Association, or ITEC Law is what we all call it. And it's basically the, the lawyers who have written the lovely GDPR regulations, cybersecurity, people doing tech law work. Uh, so we go all over the world, including to Europe, to Asia, and the US, of course. And uh, they're mostly, I know you, you wanted to ask about our values. Our values are, are really based on being thought leaders is kind of core. So whether that is in the deliverables, like the white papers, we're doing a green paper right now, which I didn't know was a thing different from a white paper on AI regulations in Europe, or if we're doing, you know, content in person and that cross-border relationship building. Um, I think that's the most exciting piece is seeing all these people come together and they use, you see it in each country, they're each using the same things they're learning. So that's a core value of being that thought leader. Fantastic. You know, and I think that also completely relates back to, you know, this conversation or our own industry itself, where there are so many people out there, so many organizations um, wishing to be thought leaders in different fields of the business events industry and in different aspects. But, you know, with technology lawyers, my Lord, that's so important nowadays with everything that's going on with tech coming into our lives, the data coming into our lives, data sharing. Uh, yeah, I'm sometimes glad I'm on this side of the fence when it comes to these organisations rather than uh, dealing with that because that's incredibly complicated but also exceptionally important. Again, that also comes into diversity, inclusion, equality when it comes into tech law. So I think we're going to have some really good conversations today. Now, we all met at PCMA. PCMA are one of the industry leaders within the business events global community. And they have very heavily over the last um, several years, and it's one of the reasons why Visit Scotland are a big supporter of PCME and partner with them in various different things. Um, but they are very much around the value of business events bring social and economic change to society. Um, and you know, from my perspective, we've always concentrated very much on the economic benefit of business events up until maybe five years ago. Um, and although that's still very important, the social aspect and the social change aspects of what we do in our 
industry and the potential it has, has come to the front of that importance level. So I'm curious to know, what does that mean for for maybe you personally being an industry professional? Um, and if you are able to comment, you know, does that mean anything to your members when they are coming together kind of to meet face to face? And I think I'm going to go with Sarah for our first comment. Yeah, I, I'm a huge advocate of PCMA. I think they've done a great job of kind of leading the way and showing the value of um, all the events. So stateside, we call it CSR, which is Corporate Social Responsibility. A lot of the associate I've worked with many associations throughout the years. Um, and most of my associations, we do some kind of CSR project within the cities that we go to because we want to leave a lasting legacy. We want to go. We want to um, build upon what is already within the destination that we're in and then leave our own lasting legacy. So um, we've done things from just partnering with different organizations within the city. And again, it depends on the association you're working for. Like my current association, we do trainings. We do mental health first aid training. So we will go and we'll do um, trainings for the local public. Um, If there's issues, we'll invite the press so we can bring a positive conversation to um, mental health well-being uh, within the area. So yeah, I think it's really important and we we look for for destinations that, you know, support us in in that as well. That's fantastic. And you know, I think that's so important within our industry and the events that we run that if we have the opportunity um to to leave that lasting impact um and to you know, sometimes these training things, I mean, it might sound um, grandiose from here, but I mean, I'm sure that those save lives in the long term because you're training one person who might feed on some information or some tell signs to other people, to family members. Um, and it just makes everyone much more aware of what's going on. You know, if that's what, you know, an event can do outside of the conference centre, then that's fantastic community engagement and doing something for, for society in general. Belle, how is it with your organisation? Well, it's it's a little bit different. Um, and of course, it's it's been even more different as we've moved into a 100% virtual environment over the last 18 months. Um, but we started a program a couple of years ago called um, Green ISCB. It's our ISCB Groves program, where we actually partnered with All Things Small and Green and Trees for Life, oh, yeah. um, which are based in the UK. And um, what we've done is we have encouraged our conference attendees. Um, this was back before, you know, when they were actually traveling to events is when we started the program to think about their carbon offset and how they can offset that um, to, to help the planet. And so we set up this great little page within our page where you can actually calculate your carbon emission. You can purchase trees to offset Um, what you've been doing. And we've added a small little chunk of funds in the registration fee that that will um, allow us to purchase trees for that reason. Um, In 2020, we added a small little amount to the the virtual events because even though we're virtual, there still is a a carbon emission that, that occurs. So in 2020 alone, we planted 174 trees, which doesn't sound like a whole lot. Um, But we also had a a few other um, donations collected and we were able to offset 29.44 tons of CO2 in 2020 just wow. through this program alone. So um, just a friendly little reminder that, you know, a little bit can go a long way when yeah. everyone collectively works together at it. Absolutely. Um, no, that that's fantastic. You know, that's that's kind of the, the legacy slash 
um, community engagement, but also the the climate change aspect. And I suppose there's also an element of educating your attendees on climate action um, and how they themselves, um, bit by bit and step by step, can play their part in combating the, the crisis. Is there anywhere in particular in the UK that these trees are planted? Oh, wow. It's funny you should ask that, Murray. <laughs> Our lovely, wonderful grove of trees happens to be in Scotland. In the no Highlands. way. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> if you go to our website, you can actually look at the... the the coordinates and you can you can actually observe our our grove of trees and how it's continuing to grow it's it's pretty fantastic oh fantastic well next time we're over we're definitely gonna to have to go and do a little visit to go and see the the fruits of your labor yeah for sure <laughs> you get a picture uh, with your trees yes! absolutely <laughs> <laughs> no and then I suppose we're going to um to, to jessica's again you might have a slightly different angle with this with with your mci position but also with iTech Law. Um, I'm trying to use abbreviation. I hope I used that correctly. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Yeah. Um, like the iPhone, but iTech Law. <laughs> uh, I think I've been trying to, to do more of the like tree plantings mm-hmm. and things like that, but I found kind of the social impact of iTech Law has mostly been in their, um, their volunteer program on site. So we pull in young lawyers um, and they help on site. And I think Compared to other organizations I've worked for, they do a great job of turning those volunteers into a job pipeline oh, okay. for for work, especially at our India conference. I can't tell you how many people I've seen year over year that were volunteers a couple years ago that are now the associates and wow, wow. the lawyers of their firms. Um, so I tell every volunteer, yes, you're going to be stuffing bags. Yes, you're going to be doing these things. But this is your chance to get in front of people who you wouldn't normally get to see, especially for people who don't have those opportunities to get in front of these like major, like we have the head of Microsoft come and speak and Facebook, like big, big names. Um, that has been just really cool to see that social change happen. That's incredible. That's such a good point. You know, it's, you know, I spoke, I mentioned, I think in the beginning about the next generation um, and, you know, society change and making a better world for the next generation. And then this is a clear example of how business events can help get people on the ladder um, to ensure that our young people are having the job opportunities that they deserve. So that's such an eclectic combination there of, you know, what values and social and economic change means for each of your organizations um, from um, community engagement for mental health awareness through to um, carbon offsetting and climate change awareness through to um, making sure that our young people in the next generations of leaders and in this in this case I take law um, are coming through and that's just from three different events and if you imagine if you multiply that by how many tens of thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands of business events that take place um, around the world if every single event took an approach like the three of your organizations then the good that would come out of the industry so thank you on behalf of the mankind <laughs> so we've touched on diversity inclusion um, a couple of times and i suppose there's there's a question there and i think we've got a couple of questions on this on you know, where do you think you are as an organization in terms of progress with diversity inclusion and if there's potentially anything more that you want to achieve now this could be either from your association's point of view but i suppose there's also that diversity and inclusion and how we're incorporating that within the events that we're actually um running so jessica as you were on fire for the last one i'm going to come straight to you okay this this one so working for lawyers this this part has been 
a little contentious, ironically, in our group. So we have a diversity policy of, you know, no manals, man panels, no manals, no manals. <laughs> but I was told by one lawyer that that was discriminatory against people who maybe have the gender of, of male, but don't associate their identity as male. I was like, oh, okay, I see where you're coming from. Interesting perspective, but also we want to make sure there mm -hmm. are other voices that are typically not included in a legal profession, such as women. So uh, yes. I yes. think that has been the push of, yes, we want to have as much diversity as possible in, in genders and in ethnicities. Uh, what's the struggle is when we go to a region specifically, which I'm sure Belle has this too with her scientists, like if you go specifically to an, I know I'm saying India again, but an India conference, 90% of the people there are going to be Indian. So how do you represent regional diversity as well? But also make sure that you're including all the voices, not just regionally, but also like age demographic wise has been a new sure, one. Sure. Um, again, with the like bringing in the younger generation, um, because in that legal tech space, all the like top lawyers want to be there, their firms want to be there, but also how do we not suppress the new voices that have new ideas? So that's been a big focus lately for us is that age diversity. No, that's really, really interesting. It's definitely something that we've seen um, in our industry as a whole. As I know with PCMA 20 in their 20s, there's various different things to ensure that we have, um, I know that ICAR also have a future leaders um, board to mirror the main board to ensure that the next generation have a voice there. And that's incredibly important. But it is, it's something that I don't think that anybody has got absolutely perfect when it comes to diversity and inclusion and that we are still, as a society, kind of working through it um man paneling though i've never heard that before that's a new one i've, I've written that Ailing. one down Manel, Manel, Manel. <laughs> i've written that one down for future reference <laughs> so Belle, what about diversity inclusion within your organization uh, and, and within the events itself within the events itself for sure um so one thing i think is that no matter how far you've come you can always strive to do better um, and that's kind of where we are so we've for the for the better part of the last 10 years, we've really ensured that, um, you know, our keynotes are diverse, you know, gender, ethnicity um, as, as best we can. Yes, we have a little bit of that problem. Um, like as Jess said, when you are in India, like when we're in Africa, we try to make sure that it's a great combination of, you know, West and East, like different parts of Africa so that they're not all coming from the, the country we happen to be in for that event. Sure. Um, but another large thing for us is um, our nominations for our various awards and our fellows. So we um, created a, a committee a couple of years back called EDI, which is the Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. A lot of people call it DEI. We call it EDI, um, Equity, diver <laughs> Diversity, and Inclusion. And um, something that's really exciting for us is we've worked really hard. We've, we've pulled in a lot of our statistics and our very first annual EDI report will be coming out to all of our members and to the public at large um, in, the oh, next, wow. in the next couple of weeks. It was just released um, actually this morning to our board of directors and will be uh, public very, very soon. Um, and it's about transparency. It's about, um, you know, showing what our initiatives are, what our strategic plan is moving forward. Um, what results we have found within our own membership and where we're going and um, where we can improve. You know, we, we noticed um, a big thing was that 
um, our fellows, we were not finding that, that that diversity in the fellows. And it started the nomination process. If you're not nominating diverse candidates, you're not going to accept diverse candidates. So I think the transparency of getting that out to your membership and to the public um, at large really helps to, um, to continue with those efforts. Um, you know, we have a lot of statements and policies in place, and um, this is the first time, you know, not only can you find it on our website, but we'll, we'll have a report that goes out that will be um, easily accessible and linkable to all of those items. So a handy dandy toolkit all in one place. Absolutely. And, you know, it's a, it's a big thing for an organization to, you know, kind of lay themselves bare like that. And so, Sarah, um, over to you for diversity inclusion. What's your experience? So, I mean, we're, we're doing a lot of the same things that Jessica and Bell just mentioned. So, you know, having that lens for all of our panels, so we don't have the mantles that you have a, <laughs> a, a diverse group of people talking about any uh, topic that's up there, because you do want to hear all the different perspectives, because as human beings, we all have our own unique experience and we have our own unique um, perspective on it. So you need to make sure that you've got the diverse voices um, from age, from sexual orientation, gender, um, race, everything, so that you hear those different topics. Um, we, we definitely want to make sure that, you know, all voices are heard. For example, we're, we do this video series quarterly and we bring in, and our, our next one is mental health challenges within the LGBTQ community because there are challenges there within that group that, you know, a lot of people don't realize. And so we want to bring that to light. We sure. want to have that conversation. So ensuring again, that everybody has a voice and everybody has a seat at the table. Um, so it's really important. Absolutely. And to Bell's point, we all have to listen and learn because you can always do better. You're never perfect. So always just listen and learn and do better. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose when it comes to, you know, mental health awareness, you know, every, part of society that is suffering from from mental um well or a lack of mental well-being needs to be treated in a completely a completely different manner so that then makes it a very complicated process um but that is fantastic that you're looking out and you're reaching out to different parts of the community i suppose uh, maybe just a slight quick fire um because we do have a question about do we believe that the business events industry is doing everything it can to be inclusive to all and so, you know, Sarah, I'll start with you. I mean, do you think, and I know it's maybe a slightly uh, loaded question, but <laughs> do you think the industry as a whole is doing everything it can for inclusivity? Or do you think, what do you think? I think we're doing much better. I think we've made a lot of strides over the last couple of years. And um, I think especially over the last two years with the conversation and everybody talking about DEI and everything that's gone on, especially stateside, how important it is. And so I've been really happy to see the changes that have been implemented across the industry. Um, but that being said, I think we still can do more. I think there are still instances where we're not doing as much as we could, but I think those conversations are happening. I think people are cognizant of it. So I think change is happening. So we just have to yeah. be, continue to, you know, push it, continue to talk about it and um, just us as leaders putting together these panels, we need to, you know, work with our um, our committees or our boards to ensure that that DEI voice is across all of our programs. Thank you very much. Bell, would you have, and I know that we might actually be agreeing and saying the same thing, but is there anything else you would add to that, Bell? As Sarah mentioned, I think, you know, there's always room for, for improvement. And I, I will say that 
oddly enough, uh, this this pandemic has created an opportunity um, out of out of chaos and change. Um, you know, we all moved into a virtual environment. Um, it gave us an opportunity to kind of rethink some of the things we're doing. And I've seen it. Um, I've seen it in a lot of different events. I've talked to a lot of other individuals at other associations and across meetings um, that they're starting to restructure um, some of what they're doing um, to to ensure that they have more diversity, to ensure that they're more equitable. Um, I'll just kind of one thing that we started this year that I have really been passing along to individuals to kind of look at is. For many years now, our membership structure is um, based on not only your career category, student, postdoc, professional, but also we use the World Bank's um, economic status by country so that your membership is reflective of those various categories. Um, Our registration for our events has always reflected, you know, student or professional, but now we also include um, those World Bank categories. So there's nine different registration rates. So we're you know, reaching out to be more equitable. And we realize that the data that we've collected is we are definitely getting um, more individuals that perhaps couldn't attend in in person. And now that we have more virtual meetings are able to attend more. So we have to think about that as we move forward back into uh, an in-person is, you know, what is that hybrid component? What's that virtual component going to look like as we move forward? Because we don't want to suddenly exclude those that finally are able to to have a seat at the table, so to speak, or or be um, more involved in what's going on. No, and that's a really good point. I think when the pandemic first started, there was a, a slight fear, or certainly on this side of the pond, that hybrid would take over and it would impact on face-to-face live business events. But I think very quickly we discovered that that's not going to be the case because people are desperate to get back to that face-to-face because that's when the real conversations happen, that's when the real decisions can happen, the real change can happen. But to your point, Bell, absolutely, it's opened up an entirely new audience. And um, from an equality point of view, I mean, for people who perhaps don't have the funds to travel to events um, or don't have the visa access to travel to events, it's giving that opportunity for them to be part of that global community. And that's something really to consider um, on a hopefully post-COVID world and where COVID is no longer here. Um, so absolutely, that's a really good point. I was going to just yeah, sure. build off the bell for a second because uh, I know at the beginning we were saying that, you know, my organization is stateside, but similar to Bell, we found with adding in this virtual component that, A, we're getting a lot of attendees from more of our rural areas that may not have had the funds to travel, but we're also getting a larger international. So we're getting a broader reach and getting mm-hmm. that global perspective coming in because we're able to add. So um, that's been, you know, the the silver lining of all of this, that we're, we're getting a larger voice out of all of it. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, I think Bell said, you know, it's grabbing the opportunity from crisis um, because if the crisis goes and no opportunity is grasped, then, you know, it's a, it's just a crisis. So you're trying to make something good. So that's fantastic. Um, Jessica, are you seeing something similar? Yeah, and I uh, to play off the equitable part of the virtual component, I think for the hybrid of the future, if you think about it, it's not only those countries or those people who didn't have budgets before to get to your events, but also right now, like I have to figure out how to get my Asia pack into my European conference because they, they're like 
Australia is closed. A lot of the countries are literally their borders are closed. So how do we create an event that they not only can see the content because, you know, we're all kind of content overloaded right now, but can get the second piece of their like networking collaboration thought leadership part, because that is the part that they care about more. I mean, they want good content, but also the talking to each other and how do you get those two audiences really able to interact, which is not easy, but how do you do it in a way that both audiences feel like they've gained something valuable, mm-hmm. but also don't feel like what is getting more than, I mean, obviously in person you get other benefits that you sure. can't necessarily create online, but how can you do it as equitably as possible? Sure. Um, that's, that's the biggest And you sometimes have to get creative too. Like when I worked with APEC, which is Association of Professionals in Infection Control and Epidemiology, say that five times fast. Um, <laughs> we actually, we worked with some countries that, you know, there were such remote areas that they didn't have power all the time. They didn't have internet. But we needed to get, you know, this this content to them. So we partnered with a service whereby um, it was a phone line. They could call in. We sent them um, the the PDF or, you know, send it somewhere that they could print it out and they'd have printouts of the of the slides. Wow. But we'd get them the slides. But then they would listen in via phone line because that was a landline phone line. That was the only wow. service that they had because they couldn't rely on Wi-Fi or power. So you've got to meet your attendees where they are and, and have to have that equitable sure. uh, services. That's incredible. You know, I was reading the other day, you know, landlines, you know, are going to be phased out potentially in the next you know, 20, 30 years. But, you know, if we do have a situation like that, the old tech is the one that came, came to the, the front to save it. Yeah. But, yeah. But, I mean, What's old is new. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Re- reinvented, reinvented the wheel. Yeah. Um, but Jessica, that's such a good point um, because, you know, the, I think the holy grail is to find that uh, solution where the virtual audience has a similar-ish um, engagement or experience in the face-to-face. Um, and again, I, I don't think anybody's found that absolutely perfect, although there are some doing it better than others, but it's um, it's a tough one, an absolute tough one. So I think it is time for a coffee break. So Belle, Jessica, Sarah, I hope you have got your coffee filled from the coffee station. Um, tea, baby, tea. Tea, oh, my apologies. Of course, being from the UK, I should have gone for tea first, but no, <laughs> coffee guy, coffee guy. <laughs> coffee will be waiting for you. We'll see you back here soon. Don't be late. We won't wait for you. Okay, let's have a couple of quick fire questions. We've been very serious this entire time. So these are the kind of questions we ask each other at an actual conference. Not. Sarah, drink reception or intimate dinner? I'm a people person, so I'm going to say drink reception because I can move around and talk to a lot of people and Totally and there's agree. always a fun vibe, so yeah. Absolutely, especially if it's a cocktail hour. Belle, best piece of advice you've ever received? Oh my goodness. Um, give yourself more labels than you think you deserve. Um, don't don't pigeonhole yourself, you know. Be be a, an event planner, be a business strategist, be a mom, be a wife, be a partner, be a friend. Um and, and truly think about all of those labels and continually expand upon those labels. Don't, don't oh, love it. Yeah. Don't pigeonhole yourself. 
yeah, not siloing yourself just to one thing. Oh, excellent. And Jessica, something you wish you knew before you joined the industry. Don't say uh, join a Visit Scotland podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially with international events that I will never sleep, basically, uh, that I will always have emails coming at me at every single time of the day and that you need. But the biggest advice I give other people doing international is like, okay, your inbox will never be empty. You will always have the email because there's always a member awake in the world. You got to set a boundary, move on. So um, boundaries are hard. Yeah. That's a great piece of advice. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I told my sister who does not work in business events how many emails I have in my inbox and her face went white. So <laughs> we're definitely doing something. I'm either doing something wrong or that's just how our industry is. Um, I think here's... Here's one for everyone. Um, best memory from a business event that you attended? Belle, why don't you you go first? Well, I would have to say it would have been you and I <gasps> watching Maroon 5. Oh, my Lord. Such a great <laughs> I was really great worried actually stuff. what you were going to say there, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you told her to keep it PG, so... Yeah, <laughs> you did, yeah. you did. <laughs> January 2020, San Francisco, the last major yeah, it business was, it event. Was extra special because it was our last big in-person hurrah before the pandemic That's hit, right. so... Yeah, I hold those memories extra tight. Absolutely, that was a great conference. Um, Sarah, what about you? I was going to say, it's hard to narrow it down because, like, there's so many great memories, you know, of people that you met, things you got to do. But I've got to say one that sticks out in my mind just because it's one of those things that, you know, you, you're doing an event and you want to try something and everybody's like, that's not going to work. You're like, wait, wait, just let me try it. So I did um, live karaoke. So I had a live band at our, our opening reception for uh, 4,700 people. And my, my CEO was like, nobody's going to get up. Nobody's going to sing. It's not going to work. And the members loved it. So we had the band playing outside. Everybody was getting up there, individuals, groups. It went so long that we we're, were looking at extending the reception because the list of people who had signed up to get up and, <laughs> and sing was so long. So I just, it was one of those moments that you, all your hard work, you see it all come together and you see everybody just like loving it. So I, I just, I love that, like sitting back and seeing the members enjoy what we had put together. So. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Next time I'm in the States, that's what we're doing as our catch up. Karaoke, <laughs> 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 Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, I was Jessica. thinking of like our industry, but I guess Sarah, you broke it out of like all events. So now it's like you said anything. I know I did the same thing. That was exactly where I was too. I leaned toward us attending versus us running See, events. Different perspective. See, <laughs> <laughs> you take in whatever perspective you Man, wish. I just anytime I can go to a venue that. I can see something locally and culturally significant to that region has always been my like i'm the, the thoughts that are coming in my head are like when we did um an event at the guinness storehouse in ireland or um and had irish dancers mm -hmm. and also got to see the view of dublin like something oh, wow. it's just very like locally something or in india we always have like street food vendors for one of our receptions and because we sure i never get to leave the hotel um, really, it's great to actually have that street feel 
inside. So I don't, everything I think about is related to food though. So (laughs) (laughs) are you hungry? No, but come on, think about it. Our industry runs on caffeine carbs. I mean, caffeine and carbs is my hashtag I use for like my internal behind the scenes things going on at our own events. Absolutely. It's coffee, carbs, and alcohol is basically the three pillars (laughs) that business events are built on. Well, I completely agree. I mean, I've got to say my favorite one was my first ever PCMA, which I think was Austin, Texas, and nobody knew that Matthew McConaughey was going to come out, and all you heard from the wings was, all right, all right, all right. And I think uh, my colleagues had yes. to put their arms on my shoulders from stopping me from running into the stage. Um, <laughs> Um, anyway, I think it is time we have to go back into the main session. I've heard the moderator is fantastic. Um, so thank you for the coffee, friends and colleagues, and I'll see you back in there. The next session is about to begin. Please make your way back to the auditorium. I've got a really interesting question. Well, it's interesting to me. I certainly hope you find it interesting. Um, and it's you know, maybe a slightly more awkward uh, question as well. But you know, you know I, I, if you're looking for a destination either internationally or within your own country, and you know, you know, say I, I know you only book in the the US, but the US is huge, so it's all it's it's virtually the same as booking internationally, with the exception of maybe the language barrier. <laughs> but how important is it to? Des- but destinations that you're looking at that they have the social economic values of your organization um you know there's there's been a lot of talk within you know uh, the journey to change messaging that is one of visit scotland's campaign and that we want to be seen as an inclusive organization regardless of faith gender sexuality um and there's a whole a whole range of these things that we want to be seen as and we want people to, in the world to know that we are standing for various different rights for as many people as possible so if you're looking at a destination how important are the social uh, values of that destination and that choice or are there other things that you have to take into consideration that might be slightly that might um take precedence i don't know who wants to kick off with that juicy juicy question sarah you're smiling i'm I was going to say, you're smiling. You can go. <laughs> I'll kick off from a state side because I think Justin and Bell will have like the more interesting because they they get to look globally. <laughs> I'm I'm locked into the states, <laughs> um, but we we do take it into account, and our our my board is is very active with the DEI. Um, so obviously, first it's going to be dates and rates, and you know the ease of uh, getting to the location. Do they have good airlift? Um, all of those things are going to be first and foremost. And then once you've got, you know, dates, rates are all good, the airlift is good, you know, walkability, we do look at walkability because again, for our, to Bell's point with the carbon footprint, sure? try to minimize that. I don't want to do busting if I don't have to. So I'm going to look at that walkability. Um, but then we, then we do look at, at the, um, the social uh, side of things, um, you know, what's going on there. And we had a situation a couple of years ago where we were in a city that was a very liberal city, but the city was within a state that was a very conservative state. And they had um, a, a law that had gotten passed and put on the books. Um, it was a watered down version, but um, it was still in the books um, and it could have been discriminatory. Um, and it was specifically, it was a, a counseling bill. So it affected our members. Um, and we had some serious conversations 
um, with the board and everybody else of whether we wanted to still hold our meeting within that state. And what we found is because the city was very supportive of us, again, a very liberal city within a very conservative state, we worked with them and we took the opportunities to bring um, awareness to what was going on. Um, so versus boycotting it, we actually held it. We held additional trainings. We had the media to come in and start that that conversation and that and make you know that positive change to make people aware of what's going on. So again, to to leave that lasting legacy of like, listen, here's what's going on. This is what we need to do to to affect this change um, and help move you know hopefully people forward in their understanding and removing the stigma and any discrimination. Wow, that's such a good story um, and such a good experience. Because um, it's, it's one of those difficult things if, because there might be some people that say, well, if you don't align with X, Y, and Z, we're not coming. And there is the bit, and you know, I can see it from both sides of the fence, you know, that might be the right decision for an organization, but you're not actually contributing to the voice of trying to change things. And, you know, you've used the the industry, you've used business events as uh, amplifying the voice to to try and create that change and, and bring awareness to to the issue that was going on within that particular state. Um, so that's such a good example of the power that our industry has. Now, I'm sure it wasn't the only reason if there was any change within that bill but it certainly would have been a massive voice um to it so that's i might pick your brains after this to find out more jessica with itech law is there how does the the social values um influence a decision it's not overtly on our rfp but um i did just have Mm -hmm. a strategic conversation of where are we going in europe for the next five years uh scotland and i (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i did bring up scotland scotland was on the list um but we did consider uh a couple other cities like we tel aviv was thrown out there and someone said well some of our members would love that some of them wouldn't for two very different reasons so i think the social part is in the thought process but not necessarily at the forefront for these guys because they okay. look to where they have members as well as the dates and rates that Sarah was talking about. Sure, sure. And I suppose that's another massive consideration. You know, if, if the membership is there, then it's kind of it almost dictates that the, the, the event goes there. Um, however, it's still good to hear that there's still um, a level of consciousness there that when they're choosing a destination on the, the social impact to both members and, and to the destination as, as well. Belle, what, what about yourself? Yeah, so um, just just like Sarah and Jessica, when you know we're sending our RFPs out, you know we'll we'll send proposals to multiple cities at the same time, and we have in the past um, taken locations off the table for a particular law or policy that has gone into place, and uh, we want to ensure that they understand why they were taken off the table. So we you know we inform them, um, you know, explaining that. It doesn't meet our um, equity, diversity standards, uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion standards, so that they can then take, you know, that information that they they have lost, you know, potentially this amount of business, and and they can then take it up to their leadership. And I think that helps the convention visitors bureaus and in, in various cities or countries, um, kind of understand. Um, when lawmakers make these policies or when the the country as a whole or the state as a whole has um, something that is occurring um, that may not meet our, um, our, our EDI, 
that they're aware of why they were removed from consideration so that they can then, um, you know, take, take that to the policymakers and so they can understand from a business perspective of what these decisions have cost them. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's literally taking the the social or a demonstration of where the social decisions can make an actual impact on the, the bottom line of economic development or the money coming into that city, that state, that country by making that stance. So again, it's kind of, that's why I sit on the fence when, if you don't go to the destination, whereas if you go to the destinations, I, th- I see benefits in absolutely both of them, but there will be considerations for every single association or corporate or incentive to take on board and what, what side of that fence that they go for, which is best for their organisation. But I'm afraid we have come to the end. I have to say thank you so much to Bell from the International Society for Computational Biology, to Sarah from the National Council for Mental Wellbeing, and to Jessica from MCI. Thank you all so much for your time today and personally I cannot wait to see you all face to face This brings our session to a close We hope you've enjoyed it and will join us again next time when we'll be discussing business events for change the corporate and incentive perspective Thank you for attending today's session See you soon